welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Jesus in Montreal, a podcast of the Presbyterian College. Through this podcast, we are exploring the theme of Christian identity in Montreal. We are sharing stories of faith and work and music and ministry in this unique context. And we are asking, where is Jesus alive and bringing hope and joy and transformation in the city? Our host is Roland de Vries, principal of the college, and our guest for this episode is Frédérica Petitum. Frédérica is a Montreal-born soprano who has performed with the Opéra de Montréal, Chant Libre, and the Black Theatre Workshop, among others. Frédérica holds a Bachelor of Music and a Master of Music from the Schulich School of Music at McGill University. She's also a gifted music educator, a student of music, and serves as host of Choral Concert on CBC Radio. Frédérica is a believer in creating a space for vocalists to participate in music making and community building, and has provided artistic leadership to the River's Edge Community Choir. We are pleased to welcome Frederica as we explore themes of vocal music, cultural identity, community, and meaning. Welcome to this episode of Jesus in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> so, Frederica, welcome. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the Presbyterian College. Welcome to this podcast, uh, Jesus in Montreal. I'm so glad to have this time with you for a conversation. And uh, uh, I thought we could dive in with something a little on the simpler side. Uh, this is Jesus in Montreal, and so my question is about Montreal and something that you love about this city. I love the summers in Montreal, mm. particularly being in um, Le Quartier des Spectacles mm. and walking on St. Catherine Street or Bernard Street in Mile End or, um, you know, being on the plateau mm -hmm. and just experiencing the vibrancy of the people. Mm. You know, getting some bagels or some ice cream, just yeah. being outside really and experiencing the presence of the city. Yeah, and it, it, just as you say all of that, it reminds me that like each of those areas is so different. Um, they all have their distinct culture and identity. I think that's part of the fun of going to these places is that they're all so different. So. Absolutely. So we are going to dive into a little bit of the musical realm, which is not my world, first of all. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, musical to some extent and have sung in the past and sing even on Sundays now. And I thought one way um, we could get into the conversation is thinking specifically about who you are. And um, I think you are uh, a vocalist, of course. Um, you are also a music educator. You are a conductor. You are a student of music and history and the culture of music and everything that comes along with music. Um, you're a broadcaster now as well. So you have all of these ways into the world of music. But I suspect you're first um, a vocalist. Is that fair to say? Oh, I don't know if I would qualify myself first as a vocalist. Hmm. Um, I think I fell into singing by almost default. You know, when I was younger, of course, you know, we did the choirs at church and we participated in activities that involved singing but I think I think the the first thing I really fell into was organizing people in hmm. such a way so that they would be doing the singing yeah <laughs> um, but you know I mean yes I did I did participate in you know operettas and choirs um, but I think even when I was a teenager what really made me feel alive was being part of the team that would hmm. uh, organize the event so that we could teach other people to sing or 
um, I really, really enjoyed that part of it more. Right. So maybe I say first vocalist because that was my first right. <laughs> encounter with you <laughs> and first experience. So that that's sort of what I think about when I think of you as a vocalist. So um, even if you define yourself in those more complex ways, and I love that, we're going to come back to that idea For of sure. organizing. Um, to stay with <laughs> the vocalist yeah, no, absolutely. component of who you are, in some ways it's hard to talk about what it means to be a vocalist, to be someone who sings. Um, but I thought one way into that question would be to think about the difference between singing as a soloist mm-hmm. and singing as a member of a choir or a, a choral ensemble of some kind. Yeah. Um, does that, yeah, how, how do you experience those two things differently? For sure. Um, so if I take a look at when I was younger, I, I really enjoyed being part of the group mm. because I felt safe and I wasn't exposed. So if something happened... <laughs> I wouldn't be held responsible. Um, I also enjoyed the... um, I did enjoy singing by myself, but because I didn't fully understand the, I think, maybe the proper motive, I I sort of was more concerned with, well, am I going to do a good job? Like, is Mm. this going to be good enough? Mm. Yeah, like it's just just going to be good enough as opposed to hey, there's a message in this music hmm. and the people who are coming to hear the music are not actually focused on you per se. They're hmm. here to experience something that's bigger than them, right? Hmm. So if you're on the stage or the podium or whatnot, there really isn't room for your insecurities in that you've positioned yourself to be the one who encourages those who have come Mm -hmm. to listen to you, right? They're looking to you, Mm -hmm. right? They're looking to experience something out of this world or to be encouraged or just to enjoy that moment. And if I show up with that attitude of, hey, I I have something to share, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got a loaf of bread, I cut a piece out, I'm giving you some and you're sharing it back and we're we're here experiencing this moment together in this exchange. So it's not just about me giving, hmm. it's about me giving, them receiving and then also me receiving because the audience is also giving something back. Hmm. So I think when I was young I, I didn't understand that the audience participated hmm. in my, you know, solo music making. Um so I didn't perhaps experience it as well as I could have. But as I got older and, you know, meeting other people and working with other people, and even until recently, I was able to realize, oh, this really isn't about me. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, I'm, I'm here uh, for, I'm here for the people. I'm here, on, I've got a specific purpose and uh, the more I think about that and the ways I can do that well, it's it's really freeing. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it strikes me that in a way what you're describing, and this reflects who I am, <laughs> is uh, what it means to be someone who leads in a context of a Christian worship service. Um, so there are some traditions that sort of provide you with texts that provide you with words. And sometimes those mm-hmm. can be things you write yourself or those can be things that are provided to you by the tradition. Um, and there's something really helpful about um, having a text that's 
prepared for you, provided for you. And that also, you know, helps you realize, oh, it's not so much about me and what I have to write and what I have to say and the connection I make. There's something I'm given, I share it, and it's it's for this community that's gathered. So it, it sounds similar to what, what you're saying in the sense that it's not about my performance, although my performance is a part of this experience and this encounter, but it's really about something more, which is maybe centered on the text of the music or the the, uh, the melodies, the harmonies, whatever mm. constitutes the music. So there's a, kind of a gift in in realizing there's something here other than me. And uh, that's what gives this whole experience substance and makes the exchange possible. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe I, I guess between the difference you, you sort of mentioned around being in a choir versus you can sort of hide <laughs> in a choral context. Um, versus, You're not supposed to, but yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> so, so how, and so what, yeah, how, what, how would you experience that difference of being the soloist versus being someone who's not supposed to hide, but can hide a little bit maybe? Yeah, uh, for sure. So um, as I got older and understood um, my role as a chorister, you actually show up with s- solo energy hmm. in terms of, um, how you perform on your instrument, you know, the accuracy, the intent, the preparation. The difference is that there's there's a new listening component because you have people in your section, you have people in other sections, and you're also watching somebody lead you, hmm. right? So it, you're interacting with the person next to you, the person in another section, but you're also interacting with a conductor mm. and you're aware of um, the crowd mm. and so uh, it's it's really exciting there's more to work with or experience but we all have to agree that we're following mm. the conductor mm. or else it doesn't work right right so in a way when I'm um, the soloist I have a bit more flexibility in terms of where I want to go. Hmm. Um, And when I'm in the choir, I, you know, for lack of a better term, submit or collaborate with Hmm. my peers, the conductor, the musicians. And so it's, um, I guess there are more people contributing to this exchange that I Hmm. was talking about before. So it's it's really exciting Hmm. because you're not, you're not by yourself. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that like when when you think of the soloist you think of sort of the 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 glory of being that solo voice, right? Of that person who's alone on the stage or with other soloists on the stage, but that there's actually a kind of you bring solo I love that phrase you use. You bring solo energy to the and and because you bring that energy to the community context, it's actually can be richer. Um yeah, it sounds like is that Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll go see my friends perform and um, a lot of them are, you know, soloists and then here they are in a choir and mm. they're all singing together. And I'm always so impressed at how they collaborate mm. um, or how they coordinate their sonic sounds to make, to create something that is truly greater than who they are individually. Mm. Um, just, I think on on Saturday, I went to see Smam and um, Ariane perform Handel's Messiah. And, you know, three of the sopranos, you know, people I knew, they were there and they, they were performing. And I thought, wow, they sound so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had never heard the, the matching and the mixing of those three particular voices. Mm-hmm. So that was new. And um, 
Yeah, it was great. It was great to see them, and they sounded awesome. Threw on a part, so just 12 singers. Again, just, you know, recognizing the individual, but really appreciating um, the group and how mm. everyone is providing their part and making something great. One thing that you've touched on um, is the the idea of the voice as being so intimately a part of who you are, right? So it's mm -hmm. your instrument, um, and you've talked already a little bit about the vulnerability that comes uh, with being a vocalist in that sense. And, you know, every musical performer, there's a kind of vulnerability. The and, and in every case, the instrument is very closely related to the body. You know, so if you're playing the keys on a keyboard, your your body is engaged. And But there is something about the voice, right? That this is yourself in a way. So what, and, and you've touched on the, the kind of vulnerability side of that, but is there also a kind of strength that you can bring to vocal performance? I mean, I know there's vulnerability, but is there also a kind of strength that, comes from this being your instrument, um, your body, yourself uh, engaged with this? I think the answer is yes. I have to say that personally, when I sing by myself, I do not experience the strength mm. of my voice. Mm. I don't feel strong mm. when I am singing. I feel like I am walking on a tightrope. <laughs> mm, yeah. But that being said, how others experience it can be, is t completely different. Mm. And perhaps, I mean, I don't know what it's like for other singers, but maybe that's the burden of the messenger where you've committed yourself to giving what you have, but you may not be the one who is actually experiencing the goodness or the benefits of what you are producing in that moment. Mm. That being said, I feel it. I feel that I feel learning to sing and singing has been a way to discipline my person. Mm. Um, you know, the practicing, the, the listening, the correcting, going to a coach or a voice teacher who is providing you with tools to make something better. Mm. And also just this idea that what you hear isn't necessarily what is being heard. Mm. So you have to develop an ability to sense where the sound needs to be. And mm. you are coordinating your body in such a way that provides the ultimate experience, perhaps not for you, mm. but for your listener. Mm. And often I have found myself where I will commit to a certain vocal process and it worked, but that isn't what I was experiencing right. while engaging in it. Yeah. So you have this, the person outside, the, the teacher, the public, who then affirm this inward work mm. that you were engaged in and you're like, oh, okay, so I'm I'm on the right track. This is good. Yeah, I will say that when you sang, as I mentioned at my installation of that of my colleague Karen, it it seemed effortless. Um, it seemed that you were fully present to this moment of singing, and I wasn't thinking about you being aware of the audience and where they were sitting in that space and the size of the Church of Saint Andrew and Saint Paul and what you needed possibly to do with your voice to fill that space in a particular way. I wouldn't have imagined, you know, all of that 
is happening. Uh, and that, I mean, that enriches the experience. Uh, and it, I appreciate the, the challenge of being that person on the other side of that voice who's taking all of that. Um, but from our side, it was, it was, you know, effortless and, and, and beautiful. I think maybe we could just continue with that moment because there was a particular song you sang uh, at uh, the installation, which was uh, Give Me Jesus. And you have a little bit of a history with, with that song. And I just thought, or I wondered if you would share a little bit of that and maybe where that song came from in your experience and, and something of what it means. Yeah, know? for sure. So I completed my undergrad in voice performance at McGill. And, um, you know, when you're in the program, there are a series of exams that you have to pass. There's, you know, a halfway exam and then there's a final exam. And the pro- the program requires you to choose, you know, repertoire from the canon that will reflect your vocal progress that also gives you an opportunity to discover just the repertoire, the way that particular repertoire is supposed to be sung, um, the stylistic... Um, requirements different you sing in different languages and so on so you know I was I was a church kid I I went to church I sang I sang church music I liked you know classical music but it it wasn't necessarily something that I saw myself doing Mm. right I I chose to study because I I thought there was a bigger picture I understood that you Mm. know training is important discovering Mm. new things growing yourself in a way that will allow you later to be able to empower other people. Mm. And there are just systems in place, like educational systems, <laughs> that you have to go through to get, right. you know, fancy papers <laughs> so that you can get a job one day. Yeah. Um, so obviously when I was in undergrad, I, I didn't get to to sing. Like you don't perform your church songs, you know, mm. during your recital right. and whatnot. We, you know, we do sing sacred music, obviously, in classical music. It it comes from a different tradition. So it was also really um, formative to engage in sacred classical music and to see, oh, this is this is really rich, even though it has a different type of expression, hmm. right? And so anyways, um, for my final recital, I thought, hey, it would be really fun to sing a set of spirituals. And um, I think at the time, Barbara Hendricks had come out with an album Hmm. of spirituals so it was like oh look this is this is really great she you know she has leader albums and opera albums and Hmm. french melodie albums and now she came out with the spiritual albums and you know back then the i mean still today a lot of the african-american opera stars would record Hmm. a full album of spirituals because it was it was it's from their tradition right so I thought, oh, this is great. You know, Moses Hogan has provided um, arrangements in the style of art song. And I would love to do a set mm. of spirituals for my final recital. My teacher thought it was a great idea. My accompanist was like, wow, this is great. I've never, you know, mm. played uh, this kind of music. And um, yeah, so I think I concluded the recital with with Give Me Jesus. I mean, you know, you're... When you're in higher education, there's you're just entering this world of of becoming, and there's this thought that to be you you have to achieve, mm. and I think there's obviously room for that, 
But then you sort of quickly realize, wow, there's so much to achieve. Hmm. And if I have to achieve everything in order to become, will I ever hmm. be? Yeah. Endless and exhausting, potentially. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the next podcast we'll do. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the, the words just really spoke to me. Hmm. You know, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Dark midnight was my cry. So, you know, you get up every day, hmm. just living your best life or not. Give me Jesus. Dark midnight was my cry. So obviously when things are not going well, right. <laughs> give me Jesus. Hmm. And then when it's all said and done and our time comes to, you know, to die, hmm. that's also um, whom I want because it's, for me, the, the most valuable um, relationship that I have. So, so it helped me contextualize all of my efforts, hmm. all of my aspirations, that I could still have them. And that at the end of the day, I wasn't alone in um, just existing, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that I could have this desire to have Jesus. And it if you think about the words, they, they're a bit strange. Like, who is going to give you Jesus? Right. Yeah, who are you speaking to? <laughs> yeah, who are you speaking to? Yeah. And I think, um, I think I'm speaking to myself. It's, mm. it's my way of engaging in this sort of purposeful dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, and it is such a, a beautiful, remarkable piece of music. And it is a question today of how that music lands in in the different contexts we inhabit so as i said the church context of my installation was people were expecting sort of spiritual content right. they were expecting to hear about jesus and and yet this music also has a life outside of the church and it has a life with people who don't identify as christians or follow jesus if we want to use that language wondering about what it is like to sing something like that or to share even you know, on, on radio to be sharing sacred music. How do you think about that music landing with people who are coming at it from very different contexts, some people of faith and some not? How, mm -hmm. how do, what, what life do the spiritual have today in, in our diverse context? That's a great question. Um, you know, time is, time is a weapon hmm. and context hmm. is also a weapon. So, Maybe weapon is not the right word, but so in other words, there may be a performance of a type of music that happens, but if it's not in the right time or the right context, mm. it's not going to speak to the audience mm. that is there. Mm. And so it's sort of finding this coordination, you know, the, the musical content, the time, mm and the context. Hmm. And I don't know if you have to have two out of three or all three in order for the audience to um, appreciate hmm. or connect with what's going on. But in essence, sacred music played a role hmm. in liturgy. Then it evolved and the context changed. But I think for that to happen, time, a lot of time hmm. had to pass. Hmm. So, you know, if you, if you buy yourself a ticket to go to a gospel concert at Christmas time, 
you're probably buying a ticket to go see a gospel concert at Christmas time because it's Christmas time, mm, right? <laughs> and you sort of you, you're you have an expectation and an understanding that this is what I perhaps should be experiencing at this time mm. of the year, right? And you'll go to the concert, and you're expect you're gonna. I think it's gonna be fine because you're. Hmm. You're there for that. Yeah, you're open to hear something from a tradition that's not yours, maybe, and even to be edified or enriched by it, even though you don't necessarily hold the religious views that are right. embodied in um, embodied in the music. I was thinking about this also in terms of um, my own experience going to hear uh, St. Matthew's Passion with the OSM and the Petit Chanteur de Montréal, my son was actually singing the Petit Chanteau oh, at the that. time. Nice. So we were there because he was there, but also just because we wanted to go and uh, listen to St. Matthew's Passion. And it was just a remarkable piece of music, a remarkable experience. Um, and I was sitting there in the middle of the hall, experiencing this as something that's edifying to me. I'm thinking about my faith. I'm thinking about the passion of Christ. I'm thinking about all of this in terms of who I am and my identity. And I'm I'm aware that there are people surrounding me who um, are there for all kinds of different reasons, and it's it, it's this kind of maybe that's the one of the safest spaces for uh, some sacred music to be performed because people come in expecting to hear mm-hmm. something that comes from history, and but I, I did wrestle with how are other people experiencing this, uh, and I think that's what you're talking about in a way. Um, I don't know if that that's helpful uh, at all in terms of thinking about something as beautiful and grand as St. Matthew's Passion in terms of that experience and that challenge of of music. So mm. in some ways, I think there are two things. The greatness of the music or the recognition of the greatness of the music allows many people to experience what they would like Mm. out of it. Mm. So it is the fact that the music is great Mm. that creates the safe space. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, Bach, he made this decision that this is how he was going to be telling this story. Mm. He had a specific audience in mind. He was living in a specific time. Mm. Um, This is what people who were like him did. It wasn't mm. wasn't like today, I think. Well, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but the this expression what he did was it was authentic. Mm. It was who he was. He wasn't thinking, "Oh, in a few hundred years, we're <laughs> going to fill up mm. symphonic halls and thousands of people mm. are going to come and experience this." Mm. It I don't even think it's a thought mm. in in his mind. And um you know, when I think that Mendelssohn revived the St. Matthew Passion in, you know, I don't know, 1829, and Bach had died in 1750, and nobody cared mm-hmm. about the St. Matthew Passion for decades. Right. And, I mean, think about that. Think about a world where nobody cared about the St. Matthew Passion for whatever reason. Right. You know, it's sitting in some library or no one knows where the parts are. Mm. So... It's what the story is, but it's also how the story is told. Mm. When one of the greatest ensembles in our city, you know, the MSO, partners with the MSO choir and puts on this great work, 
this arts organization is also communicating something to mm. the city. This is mm. important. Mm. You should come hear this. Why? Well, just come and, and figure it out for yourself. But we think it's important. Right. Come and figure <laughs> out why after decades sitting in a drawer or in a desk somewhere, someone decided to pull this out. And we think that when you show up here, you're going to realize why someone <laughs> pulled yeah. it out of a drawer and wanted to, to share it right. with the world. Yeah. So for some people, they will... You know, when you re you can resonate with the music, mm. you can resonate with the text, you can also resonate with how the music elevates the text or how the text elevates the music mm. or just simply what happens when those two things come together. So like imagine if you if you took one of the Bach chorales and you had a rock band perform the chorale I don't know. There, there are some people who would be like, I'm not here for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. You know, same, same text, mm. but it, it's not speaking mm. to the people the same way. And so as a result, the message of the text is actually not being delivered. Right. There's a kind of integrity between the music and, and I don't have the vocabulary to describe it, but this experience, this this mm -hmm. bringing together of this multitude of people to make this event happen and this experience unfold for people, um, all of those pieces have to be together at right. the same time for that. And and that's the brilliance, I suppose, of of Bach and others, that, that they can bring together all of those dimensions of time and space and sound mm -hmm. and bodies and make something remarkable. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to come back finally to something you said right at the beginning when you talked about when I asked whether you were uh, a vocalist first and you said I like to organize uh, and that was <laughs> how you started into you wanted to get people together and I wanted to come back to and stay with some of the themes we've been talking about but also come back to that question because you've also been involved with these gospel workshops over the past uh, two years yeah. two years yeah and bringing together people from again diverse traditions to a particular type of music with particular content particular history and you're kind of doing the work of sharing this music and also organizing people what is it that you found enriching about those workshops is there something yeah um not knowing who's going to show up mm. <laughs> right. and um how we're actually going to experience the moments mm. because it's completely unpredictable i you know, we don't know who's going to sign up, who's going to come, mm. and what they are expecting. Mm. I mean, you know, we have a framework. I sort of know what we'll be teaching or discussing or experiencing, but how that is all going to be received, mm. you have to be there to mm. to experience it. And I think every time I think, oh, you know what, I'm kind of expecting this to happen, I'm always surprised mm. at how people experience the workshops because it's it's never well I can't say never but there are there are moments that we did not plan for mm -hmm. that end up being experienced and it's a great way to learn about how humans function mm. and it's a great it's sort of like a window into people's minds and hearts and I mean, we also offer something that isn't offered anywhere else. So we're mm. we're creating a need, but we're also meeting it. So, right. um, you know, we don't meet every week like a regular choir. Right, right. It's sort of a it's like speed dating. You know, you just come for a few days and then we're out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, and that sort of contributes to 
the energy of the moment because right. people are, you know, committed to getting the most out of it. And, you know, we've had to think about the ways we were going to share the the material because again if i were if i were doing this if i were doing this with people who understood the tradition and mm-hmm. had experience with it i might do it a certain way right if i'm you know giving the workshop in a context where people um have you know the the religious mm. like they identify with the relig- religious component components mm-hmm. then i might do it a certain way but if you have a room filled with people who come from different backgrounds, mm. experiences, mm. walks of life may not even culturally identify with mm. the tradition of the music. I know you just do your best. Um, you try to be authentic and you, uh, yeah, you hope everything's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, with such a diverse group of people, again, it remind, going back to that experience of me sitting in the symphonic hall, surrounded by people who have very different relationship to this music. So people coming from with all kinds of different relationships to the music. How, how in that context, do you think it worked? Uh, or what allowed it to work with music that comes out of a very specific tradition for that diverse group of people to come to this music and to this workshop? Stories hmm. um, were human hmm. and... You know, the human experience is it's is pretty basic. Mm. We know um, what pain mm. feels like. Mm. We understand what injustice is. Mm. We experience hope. Mm. We understand the dynamic between longing for something that we don't have and mm. thinking maybe that we can have it someday. Mm. So when I have an opportunity to share this music came out of this experience. So there's, there's a group of people, here's what happened. Mm -hmm. Here's how some of them responded Mm -hmm. to the events that were taking place. And the response was something that they did collectively. Mm -hmm. They were able to navigate through the challenges, the oppression, the systemic barriers in a really dynamic way. And then there were so many different types of um, influences that came in and out of the picture that contributed to how this was developed. Mm. And so in some ways, as we're here today, you know, in this room learning this song, those, some of those elements are there, Mm. right? And we, what we have to learn is how do I sing this music? How do I start by singing this music and not frame it as I'm performing it, mm-hmm. right? Could, could we bring everybody to a place where we're experiencing this as a community of people expressing a certain type of belief mm. because of X, Y, and Z? Mm. And so people have to name, in a way, people have to name the, or describe their own story and, right. and the elements of this music and this tradition and this history that's challenging and difficult and find their little way into it, not simply to receive something that's performed and there for them to be entertained, but something for them to experience and to be touched by and knowing that they're only being 
touched by it maybe in a limited way, right? Their their encounter with this music is just <laughs> a small sliver of an encounter with something so complex and mm-hmm. big. Um, and I think and it's that beautiful. way for all of us, actually, mm-hmm. right? And then there are new stories being written as we are experiencing this. Because we, we can't, you know, during their workshop, we could not experience gospel music the way, mm-hmm. I don't know, the way the Mississippi Mass Choir experiences it. Yet, the content allows us to experience something, mm-hmm. and we're going to figure out how how to do that in the most honest, respectful, honoring way um, possible with the people we have in the city we're in, um, in this very moment. I love that. That's beautiful. And I think, in fact, that's a a wonderful note to end on um, because I mean it's an image of a community right where with all of the complexities of relationships and learning from one another and learning together and that hopefully is a description of the church but it's a description of the, the broad communities we live in across Montreal the, the communities we live in within the context of mu- the life we share in music mm. I just think it's a, a beautiful picture you just painted so Thank you so much. Oh, Adetica. thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> we will have to do it again sometime. But for sure. Delight to share in conversation. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs>